thank you so much that we have this time here together. It's been such a blessing for Rose and uh, for me to be here to worship, to start this Christmas season with the beautiful banquet on Friday evening, to be in uh, fellowship with Tom and Cheryl. I thank you for their love and their fellowship. Thank you for the students at Christ Theological Seminary and the blessing of being involved with them through Introduction to Biblical Counseling and the Marriage and Family class. Uh, Lord, we have so many reasons to be thankful. We are thankful this morning for the book of Isaiah, and I thank you, Lord, that you are still speaking through Isaiah, that even though uh, this was written 2,700 years ago, it is incredibly relevant for today. So, Lord, may your purposes be accomplished. May your name be high and lifted up. I know, Lord, that you are the good shepherd, and you know the hearts of each person here. I pray that your Holy Spirit would apply the word to their lives where they need hope, where they need encouragement, maybe where they need conviction uh, today. Use your word to accomplish your purposes, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to begin by telling you the story of a young lady that we met in California named Audrey. Uh, Audrey would not mind me telling you her name because she's giving me permission to tell her whole story. And I'm going to read her whole testimony at the end of the sermon just so you can see how miraculous and life-changing the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is when somebody becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Audrey, like so many in our culture, came from a broken home. Uh, Audrey went into substance abuse in her teenage years, and as you're going to hear in her testimony, uh, she calls it chemically induced happiness. Like many people, she was looking for drugs to fill a void in her life and to try to help her cope with life. Uh, She was living off the government. She had a number of what we would call DSM labels or psychiatric labels, including being called bipolar. She struggled with suicidal thoughts on a regular basis. Uh, She is the person that is being described in Isaiah 61. Take a peek at Isaiah 61.1 with me, and then I want to give you some background to the book of Isaiah, of how we should be thinking about Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the most quoted books, if not the most quoted book in the New Testament. One of the commentators I just read recently said that Isaiah is either quoted or alluded to, you ready for this, 300 times in the New Testament. One of my arguments would be, uh, we quote people who are influential in our lives. Well, Isaiah, it seems, is the most quoted of all Old Testament scripture. The, The Psalms is a very close second. Some people would say it's the most quoted. I uh, love Isaiah, so I'm going to say it's the most quoted. And if if Isaiah, as an influential person, is the most quoted person in the New Testament, I could make an argument that Isaiah may be the most influential book in the Bible. I came to the conclusion a long time ago that if I wanted to understand Paul, I needed to understand Isaiah. If I want to understand the book of Romans, I need to understand the book of Isaiah. So let me give you an idea for your quiet time. If you ever get stuck and you don't know where to go, just go to Isaiah. Go back and read Isaiah and read Isaiah and read Isaiah so that you can understand the New Testament better. We're going to take a tour through the book of Isaiah, but we're going to spend our time mainly in Isaiah 61.1 
where this is said about the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. It's the Messiah speaking. Because the Lord has anointed me. So he's on a mission. He's anointed. And who's, who is he on this mission for? It's people like Audrey. To bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Doesn't that sound like Audrey? As you hear her story later on, you hear her testimony and of God's powerful transforming grace in her life. You're going to hear affliction. You're going to hear brokenheartedness. You're going to hear someone who was liberated who was captive, who was enslaved, and who was liberated, and someone who was in the dungeon of depression, and God set her free uh, from her depression. She was a prisoner. If you're going to understand Isaiah, there's uh, a couple of things uh, you need to understand, and I want to give you four uh, goals that I have for this message this morning. Uh, we lived in Virginia for many years, and I had the privilege of pastoring a church in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is the home of Virginia Tech. So if you ever wondered what a Hokie looks like, uh, we are Hokies. And uh, we don't know what Hokies are, so don't even bother to ask the question, what is a Hokie? Uh, but we are Hokies. So we lived in the mountains, of the, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it was just absolutely beautiful. I could walk out on my deck there right outside of Blacksburg, and I could way, way, way off in the distance, I could see Highway 81, running through the Shenandoah Valley. But between our deck and 81, there was mountain ridge after mountain ridge after mountain ridge. And in between those mountain ridges were large valleys. That's a good illustration of how to think about the book of Isaiah. As Isaiah is prophesying, he's thinking of a close mountain ridge, but then there's a large gap of time until the next mountain ridge. And in that close mountain ridge, there were things that were going to happen with the Assyrians. And they were very nasty people. And the Assyrians were going to come and take Judah captive because of things that were happening. You'll hear more about this in just a few minutes. Things that were happening in the national life of the people of Israel and Judah. But then the next mountain ridge that was a little farther off was the first coming of the Messiah. And we're going to take a tour through the wonderful book of Isaiah this morning and see these incredible prophecies about this one we see in Isaiah 61 who came to set the captives free. And then the third mountain ridge is that there's going to be a time of restoration in the future that has yet to happen. And part of the good news of Isaiah is that there won't always be corrupt political leaders. Isn't that good news? There's an incredible message in Isaiah that there's a Messiah coming who is totally just, he is totally righteous, and there actually is hope for government in the future. And the government is going to rest upon his shoulders, which is one of our favorite Christmas passages, isn't it? And we're going to take a peek at that passage in just a few moments. So think of mountain ridges, and that gives me great hope let me encourage you, because one of the four goals I have for this message is to give you hope. And part of the hope is this. We believe that Jesus really came, right? You believe that? 
all these prophecies in the book of Isaiah and the other prophetic books were fulfilled in a person named Jesus Christ. And the message of the prophetic books is this, that if he came the first time, you can count on him coming the second time. And all of these beautiful promises that we see about his coming kingdom in the future, they will be fulfilled. So here are my goals for this message. One is hope. And I hope you're already hearing that, that there are beautiful messages in the book of Isaiah, especially for this incredibly difficult year that we've been through in the year 2020. Not only difficult with the virus, difficult politically, difficult in our family lives, it's been difficult in many, many ways. And there is hope. More about that as we go through the message. I want to introduce you to biblical counseling thinking. This is one, that's my second goal. This is one of my favorite passages to take people through when they think their marriage is over, or when they are depressed, or when they are anxious. I love to minister to them a person named Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah who was commissioned on a mission for real people. And that's the theme of this morning. Jesus was on a mission for real people like Audrey. Jesus was on a mission for real people like you, with wherever you are feeling afflicted, wherever you are feeling brokenhearted, wherever you feel like you are a prisoner or you are enslaved and you are a captive. Uh, people come to us in our counseling center, and we have a caseload right now of about 50 to 60 active cases and 20-some counselors in our counseling center, and we are seeing absolutely everything, absolutely everything that is going on in our culture, we are seeing it in our counseling center. And we love to point people to a person because they come to us and the needle of life is actually over here, and they think this is north. And our job is to point the needle of life back over here, that the, this is true north. This is the way that you were meant to live, and you know the way you live this life is by coming into a relationship with a person named Jesus Christ. So that's my second goal. I want to introduce you to biblical counseling thinking. Third, and you've already been hearing this, the relevance of Scripture and the relevance of this passage in particular for our culture. We have a broken culture for the last years, I have just been watching my culture, and you've been watching our culture just disintegrate before our eyes. And I believe the darker the night, the brighter the light of God's word shines. I believe that down into the depths of my soul, that the darker the night, the days in the future, we wonder, where is the United States headed? But I'm telling you, our best ministry years are ahead, because the darker the night, the brighter the light of God's word shines. This is an incredibly relevant message for our culture. And then, fourth, I want to show you how significant the book of Isaiah is for the days we're living in. Isaiah in the New Testament, this is an interesting little fact about Isaiah. Often in the book, in the New Testament, the book of Isaiah, or Isaiah, is quoted in the present tense. Here's what that means. When they quote the prophets, and Isaiah in particular, they do not say, as Isaiah said. This is so interesting to me. The New Testament writers say, as Isaiah is saying. That excites me. Isaiah is still speaking. Let me remind you what we believe about this book. 
We do not believe that this is a book that's 2,000 years old and older that is just a history book. We believe in the, what's called the doctrine of inspiration. And what that means is it is God's word and it is alive. God is speaking. So when the writers, the writers of the New Testament believe that, when they quote the, New, the Old Testament, and in particular Isaiah, they say, Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is speaking to the United States of America today. I'm convinced that if Paul was here, he would be preaching Isaiah 61 to, he was saturated with the book of Isaiah. He would be preaching this passage to the United States of America. I believe Paul would be preaching Isaiah 55, incredibly relevant message to the United States of America. It says this, why are you spending your money for that which does not satisfy? Does that sound like the United States? The United States needs Isaiah 61. The United States needs Isaiah 55. The most intriguing passage I've found from being quoted uh, from the Old Testament, though, or Isaiah in the New Testament, is from Romans chapter 9. And it doesn't say Isaiah is saying. It says this, Isaiah is crying out. <laughs> Isaiah is screaming out. Isaiah wants to get our attention in the year 2020. God wants to speak to us through the prophet Isaiah. So let's think about this in Isaiah 61. The theme again is this. The Messiah was sent on a mission with a message for real people like Audrey, for real people like you and me. As Brian read earlier, this is the passage when Jesus was in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, he was given the Isaiah scroll, and he unrolled the Isaiah scroll, and he read this passage, and then he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. So we know that Jesus believed this passage was about him. Now here's the significant thing about that. It's in Luke chapter 4. That's at the very beginning of our Lord's ministry. So this is the passage that our Savior used to launch his whole earthly ministry. He could have read all kinds of passages from the Old Testament, but this passage is so significant that Jesus used it to launch his whole earthly ministry. And then guess what he goes out and he starts doing? Same chapters, same pages in your Bible in Luke chapter 4, he starts ministering to people. He starts touching lepers. He starts casting out demons. He's involved in direct ministry of people, to people as a person. So the Messiah was sent on a mission, a mission with a message for real people. So first thing I want to show you in Isaiah 61 is the power that came upon him. And in the very first phrase, you actually see the Trinity. Isaiah 61 says this, so what's the power that comes upon the Lord, the Messiah? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. You have the whole Trinity in one phrase there. We have the Messiah, and we'll see more about who he is as God in the flesh in just a few minutes. But the Holy Spirit empowers him, and it's the Spirit of the sovereign, supreme Yahweh of the universe. Listen to what was said in Matthew chapter 3 when our Lord was baptized. So Jesus is baptized, 
And Matthew 3 says this, After being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him. And then a voice comes out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is anointed at his baptism for a mission, and the mission as the Messiah is for people. Again, it's, like peop it's for people like Audrey and people like you and me. Uh, one of the most interesting things I saw in commentaries as I was going back over Isaiah 61 was one of the commentators mentioned that the only other place, places in the Old Testament where the spirit and anointing are mentioned together is at David's anointing as the king. Now, why is that significant? Because this Messiah is the fulfillment of the Davidic king. In Isaiah, one of the things, one of the themes that is all through the book of Isaiah is that there will always be a king on the throne of David, that God is going to keep his promises through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it all comes together here in Isaiah 61. He is empowered by the sovereign, supreme, covenant-keeping, eternal God of the universe. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, who is this one? The phrase that is used in verse 1 for him is the anointed one. Now, you're going to recognize this. I'm going to tell you the Hebrew word, and you're going to recognize exactly what it is. So, verse 1 says, Because the Lord has anointed me. This anointed one is the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Messiah. Messiah, who is the Christ. In the New Testament, in Greek, we call him Christos. He is the Messiah. Our Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Anointed One, the Messiah. Now, it, I would be really remiss if we were in the beautiful book of Isaiah, and I didn't show you this theme throughout the book of Isaiah, especially at Christmas. And one of the things I really want to emphasize as we go through this message is that the gospel is not just about a message. The gospel is about a person. The person that Audrey, Audrey just didn't need some facts. Audrey just didn't need content. Audrey needed to have an encounter with a person named Jesus Christ. So I, lo I love to say it this way. The gospel is not just a message to believe, the gospel is a person to follow. And because Audrey became a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to hear her incredible testimony. Her life was just turned upside down. And she was liberated. Where she felt afflicted, she was, and she felt oppressed with life, she was liberated. Where she felt brokenhearted, the Lord brought healing uh, to her in her heart. Who is this person? It's not just facts. It's a person. Let's talk about this person and lift his name high. And in conclusion of the whole message, one of my takeaways for you is going to be that I hope during this Christmas season, you will not just come to church to go through the religious motions because that's what we do at Christmas. Of any other year that I can think of, we need Christmas this year. We need the message of Christmas. We need the message of who this person is. And I want to challenge you as you come here to this wonderful church and you're hearing God's word that you keep your mind engaged. 
You keep your emotions engaged and you praise him. You sing songs, not just out of rote, but you sing them with your inner person engaged, thanking the Lord for who he is, and that this Christmas season will be a time of true worship uh, of the Lord. Let's take a tour of who this anointed one is in the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to start with some of the later chapters, and then we're going to go back to some of the beautiful Christmas passages early in the book of Isaiah. But the first one is Isaiah 42. So please turn with me to Isaiah 42. And you're going to notice the similarities. There are what are called four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. And this servant of the Lord is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In particular, in Isaiah 42, I'd like you to notice his character. Because it's his character that people like Audrey need. I'll explain that more in just a moment. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. Now it starts sounding similar to Isaiah 61. I have put my spirit upon him. Praise God for this next phrase. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Can you even imagine a political ruler who's just and righteous? <laughs> there is a day in the future when we can have hope that there will be just government. There will be righteous government. And it will be in a person named Jesus Christ. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Notice this. This is so beautiful. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. I've taken so many depressed people to this passage before. Depressed people feel so guilty. They feel so uh, oppressed. They need to hear about a Savior who says, I don't break bruised reeds. Audrey needed to hear this message about Jesus. He doesn't break bruised reeds. He is tender and compassionate. In a dimly burning wick, he will not extinguish. There's some people like Audrey, you heard, you're going to hear in her testimony, there was a point in her life where she was spending 20 out of 24 hours in a day in bed because she was so depressed. I'm, I bet you know some people like that. They're so depressed they can hardly function. They need to hear a message about a dimly burning wick. He will not extinguish. He does not break bruised reeds. Let me remind you also what our Savior said in Matthew 11 to people who were oppressed. Uh, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul because I am meek and gentle in heart. What a beautiful person. He is meek and gentle in heart. A few months ago, right in the like, heavy-duty midst of COVID, we had a lady call our church. And this lady was broken. I returned the call and uh, trying to find out her needs, and I won't go into all the details, but it was just a very oppressive situation that involved domestic abuse, and we've seen such a, a dramatic increase in domestic abuse this year under the pressure of COVID, dealing with a couple of different cases right now. 
And this woman was living in a domestic abuse situation, and I was trying to do some facts, data gathering with her of what's going on in her life. And then I said, let me read to you a passage of scripture. This woman, I could just feel the oppression over the phone. And I started to read Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. And she just broke down crying on the other end of the phone. And I was a little bit confused at first. And then I asked her, was that encouraging? She said, oh, I can't even believe it. I can't believe there's a message like that in the Bible. We have so many broken people in our culture that need the message of Isaiah 42, that a bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Let's go on continuing in our journey, and this one is so exciting. Look at Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, who is this Messiah? Who is the anointed one, the Mashiach, the Christ? I'd like you to notice in Isaiah 45 that it is the Lord speaking, all capital letters. That is Yahweh God, the supreme God of the universe speaking. Verse 21 says this, Declare and set forth your case. This is the Lord speaking. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? And who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Let me give you a little bit of background to this so you understand it in the book of Isaiah. The people of Judah, the people of Israel, were worshiping idols. The people of God were worshiping idols. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a little bit as we talk about the implications of sin and what sin does to people. But they're worshiping idols, and they're counting on their idols to deliver them from the Assyrians and from the Babylonians. But idols don't prophesy. <laughs> idols don't tell you the future. So here's what God does. God says, I am going to tell you the future so that when it happens, you know that I am the true God and not those dumb idols that you're serving. And in fact, if you look back at chapter 45, verse 1, he even names a ruler named Cyrus, who was a Persian king who wasn't even going to be born for 150 years. And he names the ruler 150 years ahead of time so that when they would read the book of Isaiah in the future, the people of Israel and Judah would know, oh, we have the true God. We don't have, the fal we don't have a false God that we're serving. He is the true and living God. So this is the Lord prophesying. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. I've been announcing it from old. There is no other Savior except me. Now don't miss it. Where does the Messiah fit in here? Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. God's always been concerned about the nations. More about that later. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. What's, what's the big deal about that? Well, there's no greater name for him to swear by, so he has to swear by his own name. So I'm putting my name on the line. I've sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. Now, does this next phrase sound familiar? That to me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Paul quotes that in Philippians 2 of the Lord Jesus Christ. That at his name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and they will say, don't miss it, Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. I've come to the conviction that when Paul says that they say his name is Jesus Christ is Lord, they're saying Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. Who is this Messiah? The Messiah who is so tenderhearted about people who doesn't break bruised reeds is Yahweh God of the universe. And he came in flesh on a mission for people like you and me, with great tenderness for people like Audrey. Let's continue our journey. Who is this God? Let's refresh our souls now with Isaiah chapter 7. Who is this Messiah? Who is Yahweh God? We need this. We need Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name God with us. That's our Messiah. Look at Isaiah 9. Our world needs Isaiah 9, verse 2. It feels very dark in our world right now. It feels dark in the United States. Listen to verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. I'm hoping you'll so become so intrigued by Isaiah that you'll start to study Isaiah. There is so many, so many relevant passages of Scripture for where we are in history. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. The darker the night, the brighter the light of God's Word shines. Well, what is this light? Well, to get the light and how beautiful it is, you have to see how dark it is. So look at verse 5. This is a depressing verse. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. How depressing. That is an absolutely horrible verse about the condition of the world at that time, especially with the coming of the Assyrians who were going to conquer them. It was going to be a bloody mess. And then, here's the hope that Isaiah gives. For a child, verse 6, a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called, I love this because I'm a counselor, a wonderful counselor. Uh, the Hebrew could be translated, a wonder of a counselor. He is, who is this? Mashiach, who is this Christ? He is mighty God. I love to proclaim these truths to people whose marriages, they think their marriages are over. You have, if you believe it, almighty God can help you. Jesus rose from the dead. He can raise your dead marriage. Mighty God. He is, this is a difficult one to try to figure out. He's the child who's also the eternal father. That'll twist your brain. He is the Prince of Peace. He loves reconciliation. I love this because I love watching people get reconciled. We have a mediation coming up this Friday and Saturday between a husband and wife. They thought their marriage was over, and now they've agreed to a mediation, and we've been helping them get ready for a mediation. And all Friday evening and all day Saturday, I will be meeting with a couple to help them get reconciled to one another. And 
I've seen it happen over and over and over, how the Prince of Peace helps people get reconciled. Verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forever. And notice this, God is putting his name on the line and he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Maybe you're uh, here at the end of 2020, you're thinking, I can't take anymore. (laughs) Personally, this has been a messy year, you're thinking... It's been a messy year with the virus, maybe your job, maybe your family. Politics have been messy this year, and we look at the coming years and we go, what in the world is happening in our world? What in the world is going to happen in the United States? I mentioned at the beginning that one of my goals for this message is to give you hope. And one of the hopes of Isaiah is let your gaze break through to eternity. This is not the end. The next five years may look messy. The next 15 years may look messy, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an incredibly bright future. So when you're feeling yourself getting down, and you're feeling yourself depressed, or you're feeling anxious, the phrase I use for myself is, let your gaze break through to eternity. I am not just stuck in the here and now. We are eternal people, and we are, as Paul says in Philippians 3, we are actually just pilgrims passing through, and we're heavenly citizens, and that's where our real citizenship is. This Messiah is the one who is going to rule with justice and righteousness, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to accomplish this. I could go on and on. We're just scratching the surface of who the Messiah is in the book of Isaiah. This one who came on a mission for real people like Audrey, Uh, Over and over in Isaiah, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Uh, Chapter 6 is another one. You can study this one on your own. Isaiah 6 is where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he is holy, holy, holy. And then John chapter 12 says that Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. So who is the one from Isaiah 6? John says that it was our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Messiah was commissioned with a mission. So what is this mission about? Let's go back to Isaiah 61. It's a message about the Messiah for real people. The gospel is not just a message to believe. The gospel is a person to follow. So who are the type of people he came for? I want to ask you as we go through these four categories Where do you see yourself in the list? One of the ways I use this in counseling is I'll often start counseling sessions. Very first meeting is I'm just getting to know a counselee. uh, We just talk for a while to build relationship. And then I'll say, you know, I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture that I hope will give you some hope. But it'll also give me some information about what's going on in your life. And I take them to Isaiah 61. And we read these four categories, and then I say, so where are you feeling afflicted in life? Where are you feeling oppressed in life? And so I'll ask you the same question this morning. Where do you feel oppressed with life? Where do you feel poor? Where do you feel afflicted? The Messiah came for a person like you. Where are you brokenhearted this morning? Uh, Maybe this past year is called cause grief. 
uh, in your life. Um, maybe it's caused broken relationships in your life. Where are you feeling despondent in life? The Messiah came for people like you, the brokenhearted of life. Or the next category, he came to proclaim liberty to captives. During that time period, it's, uh, in particular, it's talking about uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And when the Assyrians came in particular, they were not nice people. The Assyrians, when they took you captive, they actually hooked you to the person in front of you. And from what I understand, they hooked you through the nose and chained you to the person in front of you. You were not going to break free. You were enslaved, and you were being carried away as a slave. Uh, you're going to hear in Audrey's testimony that she was hooked. She was de what she once thought was the, the answer for life, chemically induced happiness, the, uh, drugs is the way I can cope with life, actually became, she became a slave to it. Uh, one of the things that we say to people is idols promise big, but they never deliver. Uh, she was enslaved to what became idolatry in her life. Where are you feeling enslaved? Uh, Titus chapter 3 tells us, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. But after the kindness of, and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And the implication is that he breaks us free from the, the enslavements of our soul. I found this interesting note from a commentary on Romans many years ago, talking about people being enslaved. So where are you enslaved today? Is there some habit you need to break free from? William Plummer wrote this in his commentary on Romans. If our religion does not conquer our strongest inclinations, it is worthless. A sound conversion conquers the strongest sinful inclinations and gives scope to the noblest principles and notions. Jesus wants to break you free from where you're feeling enslaved. Where are you feeling like a prisoner? The difference between captives and prisoners is the prisoners are those that have been in the dungeon. The slaves are those who are being led away as the slave, in the slave train. The prisoners are those who haven't seen the light of day for a long time. And one of the themes of Isaiah is that people that were in darkness are going to see the marvelous light. I think of depressed people. I think of despondent people. I think of anxious people. People who have become prisoners. Where are you feeling imprisoned? And the message is one of good news to all four categories of people. Now... It's interesting that we have these promises, but it's one thing for Jesus as the Messiah to make promises. It's a whole nother thing of whether he can actually deliver on his promises. We said at the beginning of the message, he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's empowered. So he had the Holy Spirit come upon him. And then the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But does he actually have the power to fulfill these promises to set captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring good news to the afflicted, and freedom to prisoners. One of the things I do in counseling then is I will go into helping my counselees think about the miracles that Jesus did. 
If you read Luke chapter 4, it just I was refreshing my memory this morning from the passage that was going to be read for scripture reading. And in Luke chapter 4, you know what happens? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus reads this, and then on the very same pages, just flip one page or two pages, you're going to start seeing miracles. Demons are cast out. Diseased people are healed. And every miracle that Jesus did falls into one of four categories. And I ask uh, people in counseling, I'll say, hey, let's brainstorm. What are some of the miracles Jesus did? And I set it up this way. We've just read these four categories of people. I've gathered information from them of how their situation, their broken marriage, their depression fits into the, the passage. And then I'll say... You know, it's one thing for Jesus to promise this. It's a whole other thing of can he actually deliver on his promises. So I'll say, you name a miracle, I'm going to put it into one of four categories. And so they name a miracle like Jesus walked on water, or Jesus turned water into wine, or in Luke chapter 4, you start seeing nature miracles uh, right after Jesus inaugurates his whole ministry. So Jesus has power over nature. Does nature frustrate us as humans? I mean, you don't have to live in Florida long to let nature frustrate you. All I have to do is say Irma or Matthew, and you're going to have some pretty bad memories, probably. Nature can frustrate us, but the Messiah has power over nature. You name another miracle. Jesus raises dead people. He raised Lazarus. Jesus has power over death. Boy, there's been nothing like 2020 to bring death back into the front, front of the eyes of Americans. It's, we can't ignore it. It's been right on the front page in 2020. Well, guess who has power over death? Jesus. So I'll often tease my counselees, and then I'll say something like, so do you really believe in the resurrection? And they'll say, Pastor, of course I believe in the resurrection. And, I'll, and then I joke with them a little bit, and I'll say, no, really, do you... Do, did Jesus just faint? And you know, did he faint in the tomb? And then he was revived by the coolness of the tomb and then figured out how to roll the stone away. Did Jesus really resurrect? They go, no, I really believe in the resurrection. And then here's my zinger question. But he can't raise your dead marriage? I'm trying to help people live up to what they say they believe. We believe in a Messiah who came back from the dead, who raised dead people. It is an argument from the, less, or from the greater to the lesser. If he can walk on water and he can calm storms and say, hush, be stilled, he can help you with your anxiety. He can help you with your fears. If he can say, Lazarus, come forth, he can raise your dead marriage. The Messiah has power. He, he not only promises big things, he delivers uh, every one of Jesus' miracles falls into one of four categories. The other two categories, so we've covered death, we've covered nature, disease, he heals diseases, and he casts out demons. If Jesus has power to do these things, and you see them in the pages right after Luke chapter 4, you see Jesus launching his ministry, doing miracles. He actually has power to help you with your fear. He has power to help you with your anxiety. He can raise your dead marriage. Uh, he can help people like Audrey break free of substance abuse. This is the mess, part of the message that is the good news. 
As we head toward the finish here, let's think about what the good news is. Many people have said through the years that Isaiah is a mini Bible. It not only has, uh, has 66 chapters, so the Bible has uh, 66 books, but the same theme as Isaiah, or the same theme that's in the Bible, is in Isaiah. Let me refresh your memory. What's the overall theme of the Bible? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You see all four of those in the book of Isaiah. There is a creator God. Isaiah chapter 40 says he knows all the stars by name. And later on in Isaiah 40 says he's the creator who never sleeps nor slumbers and his ways are past finding out. And that if you wait for him, your strength can be renewed like the wings of an eagle. In Isaiah chapter 40, he is the creator God. The good news of the Bible is this. You were made to be in relationship with the creator of the universe. But something horrible went wrong and uh, we fell. Genesis chapter 3. And it's really clear in Isaiah that humans have a problem. Three words get used in Isaiah over and over to describe the problem of humans. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. Sin means we fall short of God's glory. Transgression means... God has set standards, and you don't go over the line. Here's the line. Don't violate my standards. But what do we do? We fall short of his glory, and we are rebels. So transgressors means we're rebels. We violate God's standards. The third one might be the hardest to take. It's the word iniquity. In Hebrew, it actually means twisted. We're twisted. Have you ever had a twisted thought? Uh, you could translate it perverted. Humans are perverted. We have twisted thoughts. And it's really true in the book of Isaiah. This is the people of God. And I told you before, they were worshiping idols. But you know what part of that idol worship was? They sacrificed their children. They didn't, I'm not just talking about baby dedications. <laughs> they sacrificed their babies to Moloch and Ashtaroth. They killed their children as part of idol worship. And Isaiah is calling them to repentance. Stop serving Ashtaroth. Stop serving Molech. Serve the true and living God. It is foolish for you to serve these idols who have eyes to see but do not see and have ears to hear but do not hear. He's calling them to repentance through the Redeemer. Creation, fall, redemption. And we've already looked at that beautiful message of the Messiah in Isaiah, of who is this Redeemer who came the first time and who is coming the second time. He is the Redeemer, and there will be restoration. There is a coming kingdom. Here's another way to think about Isaiah as a mini-Bible. And what is the good news? This time it's all S's. There is a supreme, sovereign God of the universe. Why is that important? Because that means there's someone who's the creator that I am accountable to. Life is not about me. Life revolves around him. He sets the rules. There is a supreme sovereign God. It is his world. Acts 17, 28 says this. In him we live and move and have our being. There is a supreme savior, uh, sovereign God of the universe. But something went radically wrong. We're made to be in relationship with him but something went horribly wrong in Genesis chapter 3, 
And we have this big problem with self-sufficiency. I will live my life my way. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. And we see Adam and Eve rebelling against the creator God of the universe. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. Humans have fallen into sin. We can't save ourselves. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. So what's the situation? There's the next S of my five S's. What's the situation? The situation, according to Romans, is Romans 1.18. We are under the wrath of God. We deserve to pay for our own sin. I can't pay for my own sin, though. I am a mere fallen human, and I am guilty of sin, transgression, and iniquity. I don't have the answers inside of myself. Our culture likes to tell you, well, you have the answers inside of you. We don't believe that. Biblical thinking is, I don't have the answers inside of me. I should not let my heart be my guide. I should not be true to my heart. Uh, that is, when you actually understand what the Bible says about the heart, you understand how foolish that counsel is. I should not let my heart be my guide. I do not have the answers with, inside of me. I need a savior from outside of me to come riding into my life to save me from me. I am my own worst enemy. I am self-sufficient in rebellion against God, and I need a savior to redeem me. So there's a sovereign God, there's sin, the situation is bleak, I'm under wrath. So next S, I have a savior who comes in and rides into my life as the great Messiah of the universe. And what do I need to do then? The message of Isaiah is very clear. Switch loyalties. That's the last S. Repent. Switch loyalties of what you've been serving, what you've been living for, whatever self-sufficiency means in your life. And the gospel is not just a message to believe. The gospel is a person to follow. follow. And you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what the Great Commission is about, is go make followers. Let me finish with, with Audrey's testimony. You're going to be thrilled with this, and you're going to see how Jesus sets people free. And in conclusion, I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 29. I'm not going to tell you what verse yet, but this is a beautiful verse to finish with in Isaiah 29, and I'm going to read it after I read Audrey's testimony. I hope you're hearing this morning that this one, the Messiah, who's commissioned and empowered by the Godhead, came for people like you. He came for real people. Wherever you're feeling brokenhearted, wherever you're afflicted, wherever you're enslaved, wherever you're imprisoned, listen to Audrey. <clears throat> she, gave, uh, she wrote this for our church in California, and I was so thrilled with the testimony that I asked her if she would read it or give her testimony to the students of the Master's University, and she did and had a huge impact on our student body. Good morning, church family. I'm honored to be able to share my testimony with you and extremely thankful that the Lord has done such a mighty work in my life that I have a testimony worth sharing. I pray my story will be an inspiration to you all and that you find hope in my words. Most of all, I pray that our amazing God will be glorified. It is for his glory that I share with you today. When the Lord calls us to himself, he rescues us all out of darkness but I think my darkness was probably darker than most of you know. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder just before I turned 17. 
I was put on medicine I was told I would need for the rest of my life. I've taken more pills than I care to count, and I spent way too many years bouncing between different hospitals, psychiatrists, and mental health programs. By the time I was 22, my life seemed to have improved. I was living on my own, going to school full-time, and working. I even graduated from Antelope Valley Community College with honors. But the depression continued to pull me under like quicksand. In the summer of 2007, after repeatedly missing work due to anxiety and depression, I lost my job. A month later, my sister, who was pretty much my whole world, moved from just down the street to Idaho. My world was suddenly turned upside down, and my depression deepened. The chemicals I had once used only for recreation now became a daily habit after my mom's death. Now they were my only source of happiness. Chemicals I had never even tried before became part of the regular rotation. I was deeply depressed, and I spent most of every day, sometimes as many as 20 hours, in bed. I only got up for a few hours in the evening to spend time with my favorite chemical and eat whatever was easiest. I had no friends and hardly ever left my apartment. I hadn't worked in four years, and I had no hope that I ever would again. The apartment that had once been my haven had become my tomb. I believed my life was over and I hoped it would just end so I wouldn't have to take matters into my own hands. The hopelessness I felt was beyond anything I could ever describe. I thought I knew how dark my darkness was, but it wasn't until July of 2011 when I saw the glorious light of Christ that I really understood the extent of my darkness. It was like when you're reading in the evening as the sun goes down and you don't realize how dark it's gotten until someone insists on turning on a light so you don't strain your eyes. When that light comes on, you think, wow, I guess it was darker than I thought. That's how I felt when I saw the bright light of Jesus. So much of my life was in direct opposition to God's commands. I had spent 32 years living for myself, and I had no idea how to live for Christ. And there were many days when I just couldn't see how I could possibly make the changes necessary to follow him. I saw my cross, and it looked way too heavy to carry. Thankfully, the Lord gives us what we need to do his will. We have God's word to guide us, Christ's strength to sustain us, and the Holy Spirit to convict us when we've gone astray. He also gave us his church. The Holy Spirit started convicting me of my sin every time I used my favorite chemical. He soon put it on my heart to tell my discipler, she doesn't have this, but her discipler was also a certified biblical counselor, who in turn urged me to tell my care group leader, it is never easy to deny your flesh. It wants its own way every minute of every day, but it's so much harder knowing that you grieve the Lord every day when you choose something else over him. I was petrified of living a double life. So I made up my mind to give up what the flesh craved and look to Jesus to fill the hole I had been trying so desperately to fill with chemically induced happiness. It was very hard at first, and I didn't know how I could possibly live without something that had been an important part of my life for over a decade. I'm so very thankful to be able to tell you that last Saturday, I celebrated one year of not turning to chemicals for happiness. I would have never given up chemical recreation on my own accord if it wasn't for the hope I have in Jesus. I would still be depressed and on medication. Because of the Lord's work in my life, I no longer rely on mind-altering chemicals, and my daily life has completely changed. <clears throat> there was a time that I never thought I'd work again, but now I'm excited to see what job the Lord has planned for me next. I'm no longer the girl I used to be. I'm a new creation. When we left uh, California four years ago, she was actually the manager of her uh, apartment complex. 
It is my prayer that my testimony, uh, that from my testimony, all of you, especially those struggling with habitual sin, can see the hope that there is in Christ. He wants and deserves your devotion, and if you let him, he will do a mighty work in your life, just like he has done in mine. <clears throat> if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you hear him calling, I pray today is the day you answer and give your life to him. You will never regret it. I think of four or three categories of people here this morning in conclusion. You might be in this category. I need help. Uh, I would tell you there are people here that want to help you. Just talk to us after the service. If you're in the category of Audrey and there's some areas in your life where you say, I need help. Or maybe you're in this category. I don't really know this person named Jesus, and I really want to know this person named Jesus. Again, there are, here, there are people here that want to point you to this special person who's the Messiah named Jesus. Or the third category. In this Christmas season, you've been having a hard time getting yourself focused. And I want to challenge you throughout the rest of this Christmas season to be a worshiper. Don't just allow, you, allow yourself to go through the ritual Christmas. You come to church and you do the religious services. You sing the Christmas songs. When you come, engage your mind. Pray ahead of time. Lord, help my mind be engaged. Not just your mind. Lord, help my emotions to be engaged. Be engaged in what you're singing and what you're hearing from God's word. And be a worshiper of the Lord during this Christmas season. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for people like Audrey and how you've liberated them. Thank you that she's so willing to share her testimony and how you've been using her for your honor and glory. You are the good shepherd. You care about bruised reeds. And for those in the room this morning that fall into those four categories, I pray that you would give them hope that you are the Messiah that came for people just like them. Uh, Lord, I pray this for our nation. Our nation needs you. And we pray that those who are living in darkness would see the marvelous light of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.